The James Webb Telescope allows us to see what our ancestors could only imagine. It reaches deeper into the universe than, than any previous camera, opening a new era in cosmology. Its instruments are precise enough to see a penny from 24 miles or a football from 34 miles. It will supposedly and hopefully spot the first light from the first stars that ever existed. Its first images reveal hundreds of, not stars, but galaxies, each with billions of stars and planets. And in between the stars and planets, emptiness, vast swaths of nothing in which a person could travel for a billion years at the fastest speed and never run into anything. Amazing. Grand enough to send one observer into a self-confessed existential crisis. Stephen Johnson wrote a blog describing how the images made him feel he wrote, in the face of the unimaginable vastness of the universe, there is nothing you, I, or anyone could do that would make any difference. Stars are going to keep exploding and imploding. Black holes are going to suck light into them. Everything is going to keep orbiting around everything else. And there's not a thing, a bunch of dirty little creatures clinging to an insignificant speck in the universe can do about it. He was having a bad day. <laughs> he goes on to state, we have no idea why we are here and only the vaguest theories about how we are here. So we just revolve around the sun and watch true crime documentaries on Netflix <laughs> until some catastrophe that we probably created ourselves kills us all. Well, I suppose that's one way to look at it. Humans are microscopic, less than fleas who have no meaning in this immeasurable universe. A person could draw that conclusion. Then again, an opposite assumption is equally valid. Something like this assessment from astronomist Deborah Harzman. Look at the thousands of galaxies strewn about. This picture reminds us of one of the ways God sees the universe, all of the galaxies dancing and spinning through space, governed by him and following his grand design. What a contrast. First view is bleak, the second one is beautiful. One sees the universe as senseless, the other sees it as symbolic and significant. One sees the skies as hollow and empty, the other holy and full of God's presence. My money is on the latter. The immense God who made this universe is alive and well, and these galaxies are yet another testimony to his magnificence, part of the ever-expanding, ever-validating promises of Scripture that validate statements like this one. 
His ruling authority will grow, and there will be no limits to the wholeness that he, spring, that he brings. We can turn away from God and, and deem ourselves as small and insignificant, or we can look at the sky and draw the conclusion that because of him, we too are fearfully and wonderfully made. The cynic looks at the universe and feels tiny, minuscule, insignificant, but the believer looks at the universe and finds hope and strength and draws the conclusion that our mighty and beloved God is alive and well in this world, and he's inviting us to enjoy everything that he has made. And to dwell with him in the universe for eternity, we'll need an eternity to see the beauty that he has done. It's all a matter of perspective. No, it's all a matter of faith. Faith. Faith is what we discover when we study the life of Elijah. Do you recall the very first words of Elijah when he walked onto the stage of Scripture? He announced to evil King Ahab and evil Queen Jezebel, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. His first words as recorded in Scripture are words of faith. He believed in the Lord God who lived and he believed that he stood before God. He never saw the web telescope images, but as we've looked at his life over the last few months, we've seen that he saw even more. He saw the Baal worshipers rendered powerless. He saw a divine drought that sucked the moisture out of the soil of Israel. He saw ravens who would bring him supper every night. He saw a supply of oil and flour sustained, and the widow and her boy cared for. He prayed for a dead boy, and that boy came to life. He prayed for rain, and rain fell. He prayed for fire, and fire fell. He saw the faithfulness of God. He wasn't perfect. Scripture says he was human, just like we are. He was prone to emotional tailspins. You remember how he defied 850 prophets and then ran from one woman, Jezebel? Do you recall how he marched 100 miles out of obedience from, from Kareth to Zarephath, and yet he marched 200 miles from Jezreel to Sinai out of fear and anxiety? He was a walking contrast, just like we are. And yet God was faithful to him. Yes, the God of a billion galaxies, the God who oversees the black holes. Yes, the God who is ever creating, ever expanding. That same God poured favor on a scraggly, woolly-haired man from Gideon. He believed in Elijah. And my main message today is he believes in you. Do you believe in the God who believes in you? Faith, faith, biblically defined, believes in the God who believes in us. Here's how the Scripture defines faith. Anyone who wants to approach God must believe, look at this, 
both that he exists and that he cares. Enough to respond to those who seek him. Look at the two elements of faith. There's not just one. Ask most people, what's faith? They would say, well, it's belief that God exists. That's just 50%. Faith is not just the belief that God exists, but the belief that God cares. Not just the belief that God lives, but the belief that God loves. Not just the faith, not just the, the, the conviction that God is, but the conviction that God is near. He believes in you. So, here's my question. Not just a question of the morning or the week. It's a question of a lifetime. Prepare yourself for it. Are you listening? You're perked up. Sit up straight. Here it comes. <laughs> Do you have steadfast faith? Do you? Do you have a faith that can weather any hurricane? Weather any storm? Face any challenge? Earlier this year, my wife and I went to Puerto Rico where I officiated a wedding. I know it was a tough job, but somebody had to do it. <laughs> we went on a tour of the famous jungle in Puerto Rico, and the guide pointed out how as a result of the two major hurricanes the island has seen, many of the trees are still stripped bare. But he pointed out a particular type of tree, and he said, that tree survives every hurricane. While the other trees are reaching up for the sunlight, this tree has the deepest roots on the island. I thought, that's how life is, isn't it? Many people are always reaching for the stars, but people of faith let their roots go deep. And when the hurricanes come, they stand sturdy. And the trees with the deep roots in Puerto Rico, they're still there. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have steadfast faith? Do you believe that the God who made the skies will make sense out of this crazy and turbulent thing called human life? Do you have faith in a God who is for you, not against you? Do you have faith in a God whose love for you surpasses knowledge? Do you have faith in a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Do you have faith in a God who made a dozen promises like this? I will come back and take you and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Do you have faith? Do you believe in the God who believes in you? For many people, the answer is no. For many people, maybe most people, the answer is no. There are more than 72 million millennials in America. A sizable portion of this generation has turned its back on faith of any kind. And they identify themselves as religious nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S as if to say, faith, I have none. In 10 years, from 2008 to 2018, the percentage of nuns increased from 32% to 43%. At this rate, the presence of faith in Jesus among millennials will soon be a minority. It's somewhat possible to understand. I know pain can termite at our faith, 
disappointment can take its toll. Yeah, it's possible to stare at the stars and feel like a gnat. I get that. But before you check out, before you binge on Netflix movies, would you please consider these three vibrant promises that come through the story of Elijah? Just to wrap it up, three big ideas. Number one, God will provide for you. He always provided for Elijah. Elijah took a stand for his faith and he paid the price. He had to run from Queen Jezebel and King Ahab. He had to hide out in a ravine in the midst of a drought. But God took care of him by sending ravens every day with food. Ravens. I think I would have deputized a squirrel or some doves. <laughs> ravens. But you know, even the fact that God used ravens is a picture of God's protection because ravens were indigenous to those ravines and those posses that were looking for Elijah would have spotted those ravens and thought nothing about it. What's curious is that ravens are known to never return to the same spot, but under the sovereignty of God they did. And they returned to Elijah every day with adequate provision for the prophet God also provided for Elijah through a pot of flour and oil that never ran out. The widow in Zarephath, you'll recall, was asked by Elijah for some food, and she laughed at the idea. She was gathering sticks. She was, she was down to her, her last meal. She said to the prophet, I'm just going to go home and die. She didn't have enough food for her and her son, but Faith was a part of Elijah's repertoire, and he believed in God, and through the faith of Elijah, that pot never, well, every day it was replenished. Every day. The point is simple. God provides. Do you believe in the God who will provide for you? Anxiety is racking our country. It's sucking the joy out of so many souls because people think it's up to them to provide for themselves. Would you believe in the God who has promised to take care of you? Would you believe in the God who points at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and says, look, if God can take care of them, don't you think he can take care of you? Would you believe in the God who provides? He will never give you a mountain without giving you strength to climb it. Can I say that one more time? He will never give you a mountain without strength to climb it. He will give you mountains, but he'll give you strength. He'll never give you a need without a provision to meet it. He is the God who provides. And he's also the God who protects. God will protect you. Mount Carmel will forever be associated with Elijah. Well, it should. It's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. It was on the peak of Mount Carmel that God used Elijah to display God's power over evil and his determination to protect his people. Elijah invited 850 prophets of Baal to call down fire from heaven. And they did. They began crying out to Baal. Eight hours 
they cried out to Baal. Eight rambunctious, loud, sweaty hours. They danced until they dropped. Their voices went hoarse. Their, their bodies ached. They even cut themselves a bloodletting for Baal. Yet the Scripture says there was no voice, 1 Kings 18, 29. No one answered. No one paid attention. Please keep in mind that these 850 prophets of Baal were leading the nation of Jehovah away from Jehovah. They were sacrificing babies on the altar. They were recruiting young men and women to serve as prostitutes in the temple. They were servants of Satan. There were, and God had had enough. And when Elijah prayed one, they had prayed for eight hours and nothing happened. But when Elijah just looked to heaven, bam, the fire fell and consumed the altar. Fire fell like a cosmic blowtorch, and God said, I'm going to protect my plan. He's going to protect his plan. He's going to protect his church. He's going to protect his people. Are you trusting in God to protect you? Trusting. Do you know the God who cares for you? Listen. If he can drop fire on a mountain, don't you think he can drop sufficient blessings into your life? If he can insulate Elijah against all odds, can he not get you through your Monday or your Wednesday or your final exams? Faith in this living and loving God is a game changer. I don't know how you get through life with no faith. I really don't. I don't think we need smaller problems. I just think we need a better understanding of how big our God is. He needs no counselor. He needs no advice. No one ever has given him a suggestion that he needed to hear. No one has ever asked him a question that he could not answer. He has never been tired. He has never taken a nap. He has never taken a break. He has never gone to sleep. He has never struggled. He has never been confused. He has never been thwarted. He has never been contested. Do you know this, God? Focus less on the mountain and more on your heavenly Father's ability to move it. As your knowledge of God increases, your concern with problems decrease. As your knowledge of God increases, so your understanding of God and his ability to face your problems decreases. I love this promise. You do too. He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust him, whose thoughts Turn often to the Lord. Perfect peace. Boy, could you use some perfect peace? I saw a picture of this perfect peace in Chicago O'Hare Airport some time back. There wasn't peace in the airport except for one exception. Everybody was freaked out. It was late. It was dark. 
Thunder was rumbling outside. People were grumbling inside. And we were all thinking, if we don't get on that plane, we're going to be stuck here all night long. And all we could see is canceled, 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 canceled. And people were really upset, including this preacher. How can a man of God be stuck in Chicago, I thought. <laughs> there was no peace in the airport with one exception. As I was standing in line waiting to see if I could get a seat on the next flight, if there was going to be one, I heard singing, humming. And I turned and looked and seated in a chair in the sitting area up against a wall was a young mother. And under a blanket in her arms was the form of an infant. Small enough, couldn't have been more than a few months old. And that infant was nursing and that mom was humming. And that child was at peace. And the irony struck me, all these sophisticated travelers and the one person who's at peace is that little baby. Why? Because that baby had the peace of its mother. God has promised to give us his peace. And in the same way, that baby was receiving the peace of the mother, the warmth of the mother, the protection of the mother, the assurance of the mother, the nourishment of the mother. Of course, take that child away from the mother and that child's going to lose its peace. As you envision that scene in the airport, do you identify more with the baby or the frantic travelers? God will give you his peace. It's simply our job to remain in his arms, to receive his warmth, to receive his nourishment, to be blanketed by his protection. It is not his will, my friend, that you go through life wound tighter than an Egyptian mummy. It is his plan that you discover his peace. I'm especially sensing the need to say that to young people because you have so many demands coming your way and so many people telling you that your performance and success depends upon what you do. It does not. It depends simply upon your ability to stay attached to your heavenly Father. Do you believe in the God who believes in you? The God who will protect you, the God who will provide you, and one final one, the God who will come for you. The story of Elijah is a story of one of the most dramatic, maybe the most dramatic departure in all of the Bible. Do you recall how Elijah's earthly ministry ended the day that a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven? In an instant, from one moment to the next, Elijah was taken from this life to the next. A grander deliverance awaits you and me. We won't be taken up in a chariot. We're going to be escorted up by Christ himself. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the ones in the grave. After that, we who are still alive, that could be us, and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Christians, upon the signal of Christ, will be transported into the presence of Christ. Christians, upon the signal of Christ, will be transported into the presence of Christ. This resurrection of the righteous will occur so fast that it's described in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Somebody tell me, how long is a twinkling of an eye? Here, I'll start a stopwatch and you twink. Oh, I didn't take all. You got to give me a little more time. It's so fast we cannot measure it. In a moment, the Greek word is A-T-O-M-O-S, atomos, from which we get the word atom. To the degree that an atom is small, this moment is quick. That's how long it takes, God, to resurrect and redeem the righteous. That, that's your future, my friend, if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, that is your future. And what he did with Elijah, he will do with us. He will provide for us, he will protect us, and he will come for us. Elijah believed this. His faith went deep. And consequently, when the hurricanes of life began, he lasted steadfast faith. Dwight Moody is credited with the quote, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Mr. Moody may have been correct, but I wonder if he failed to consider the life of Elijah. Elijah was fully consecrated to God. Consequently, the man was a powerhouse of faith. Ever outnumbered, but never outmaneuvered. The odds were against him, but God was for him. He had his difficulties, but he always landed on his feet. Isn't that what we desire? Isn't that what we desire? To move forward with a, a fierce faith that refuses to budge or compromise, to stay in the race, to finish the course. We can. Do we not serve the same God Elijah served? My closing exhortation. Don't give up. Stay in the race. Hold tightly to your faith. Don't quit. Don't abandon the only hope that we have. Don't think for a second that you have outsinned the grace of God. Don't think for a second that you have outlived the strength of God. Don't think for a second that God has abandoned you. God is strong enough to get you through every problem that you face. Just believe in the God who believes in you. When my daughters were small, we had the same nighttime ritual. I think they were, oh, honey, six, four, and two or something like that when we were all had them in the same bedroom. And they always had a way of extending that nighttime ritual. They could play their dad like a violin. They would want me to act goofy 
And so I'd act goofy. I'd walk into the wall and pretend I hit my nose. I did it every night. Walked into the wall and pretend I hit my nose. I would trip over the carpet and fall down. Oh, they would giggle and laugh. They thought that was the greatest thing. And then they would ask me to make funny faces, and I'd make every possible funny. I knew they were just trying to stay awake and not go to sleep, but I, I did them all every night, every night. I always loved an audience anyway, and I had three. <laughs> but then, always the last request after be goofy daddy, be funny daddy, was this one. Be strong, daddy. Now, back then, I had some muscles. I, I used to, could, you know, do that, and something would happen. Now, if I do it, it falls the, the, other, the other way. But I would flex. I would pop my pecs. I would pretend that I was, why are you laughing? I would pretend I was a, you know, giant Hercules. And then I would run around the room, and I would do this. I would chase the shadows out of the room. Get out of here, shadows. Get out of here, shadows. And they would laugh, and they would applaud, but then they would relax. I came to realize that they could sleep better once they had seen that their dad was strong. You need to see how strong your heavenly father is. You just need to see it. You need to see that the one who made all those stars and all those galaxies will make a big deal out of you. You need to see that while everybody else in Chicago O'Hare is going crazy, you can be at peace. You can receive the peace of your father, that he will nurture you and hold you and sustain you and get you home safely. Elijah discovered this. And we're still talking about his faith to this day. He had a steadfast faith. May you and I have the same. Believe in the God who believes in you. Gracious Lord, and now have mercy upon us as we receive these teachings. We know there's a devil, and we know that he wants to steal the seed of truth from our hearts. We stand against him today. And we receive you, O Lord Jesus, as our, our pioneer the perfecter of our faith, our provider, and the protector of our souls. We thank you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.